You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, Rav Sadigon's parish on the Torah was formulated, worked on when Sadia was a young man. Um, the reason I know this is because in his older years, he mentions his work on Mikro. It is the type of work that needs a lot of time because you have to be translated all 24 Sifrei Tanakh. And he wrote a short biur on his translation called the Tafsir. And he also appended introductions to each book. And he had an Arabic name for his commentary of each Sefer. Uh, there might have been different sections that he added as he became older. But it seems that at least the essence of this commentary was something he was working on uh, as a young man in Mitzrayim and later in Eretz Yisrael. Um, it's possible that the fame of the commentary might have rested on his role as a Gaon that happened, as I mentioned last week, at the age of 46. And it was through after that period and subsequently that his commentary became spread throughout the Jewish world. But I believe it is something that was part of his passion and reflected his mov- his novel mindset. What I mean is, is that he knew that the lingua franca of the generation was Arabic. It was clear that all the major philosophical works were written in Arabic. And it was clear that that was the, the language that informed the thought processes of the community that he wanted to reach, and even his own community. The Rambam already explains to us, and it really is clear way before the Rambam, that the language that we know as the Loshan Tanakh is not large enough and expansive enough to be able or elastic enough to contain the types of thoughts and ideas and sophistication that was necessary to learn. Now, does that mean it could be done in Aramaic? Aramaic seems to be somewhat stilted as well. And and perhaps that's one of the keys to understanding the Talmud, is how some of those stilted phrases actually contain wealth of information and material and ideas. But Sadio wasn't going to write in Aramaic. Sadio was going to write in the language that most people thought and understood. And he was going to write his uh, interpretation in Arabic but with the intent of using his Arabic interpretation to strengthen the sense that he knew what the Torah meant in what we call its Loshan HaKodesh. I'm being a little bit uh, obtuse, but let me explain. The Karaites, the Karoyim, uh, were adamant 
that their rabbinic adversaries were charlatans and didn't really understand the simple meaning of the psukim. Maybe they gave us credence that we were misguided, that the perushim of the Talmud had ruined our brains. They felt that they were injecting a refreshing return to normalcy. And um, this is what the the Karaites uh, were aggressive about, were activists about, was the fact that the Mikra is supreme, and that's why they were called Karoyim. Where do they... They were known as the B'nai Mikra. Again, part of this is understanding, and this is really tied into Sadia's biography, is the importance of the Reish Galusa. The Reish Galusa was a, a position that opened up and was pretty much created in Bovell. We do have indicators from the Rishonim that there was a religious reason to create the Reish Galusa. I mentioned uh, recently on a platform that the idea of the head of the Sanhedrin acting as a political Nasi only came about when we were deprived of government control. When the Hashmanoyim lost power, there needed to be some sort of representative who, if was not the governor of the Jews, was at least the one that was responsible and answered to the Roman governor and in a way could impose things for the mass of Jews that were living there. And that became uh, the, for, at some, it was the Kohen Gado at one point, and then it became the Nasi of the Sanhedrin. But the Nasi of the Sanhedrin's main job was to be the ultimate voter of Halacha, was to act as the great mind and arbiter of, of, of Jewish law and thought. The idea of him being a political leader seemed to be just a matter of expediency. What's interesting is, is that there was a tradition that in Bavel, that that position was to show fealty to a, a, a reinstatement of Malchus when we finally get a king in Eretz Yisrael again. From the Pasuk will Yasser Shevet Mi Yehuda, or Machokik Ribain Ragla, from the last testament of Yaakov, Avinu, it has been shown from Chazal that they felt this meant that the Roshkelusa in Bavel had great power and was supposed to have power. Now, you could look at that Medrash quoted by Rashi in Parshas Vayechi as just a result of a reality that occurred that in Bovell they started there started being this political head. But there are Rishonim who take this medrash to indicate a directive that we must have some sort of position like that. That we need to have something that reminds us of what a king can be. And that that person should be from Yehuda. That person should be from, and as it was, as the Yerushalmi says, it was actually from David Amelech. The Reish Galusa, in other words, 
was a position that developed in Bavel. Um, according to the Sefer, uh, the Sefer of Rav Nosam Abavli, it was actually uh, a, 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 a great-great-grandson of Zerubovel, great-great-great-great-grandson of Zerubovel, who had originally come to Eretz Yisrael to build the foundation of the Beis Hamikdash and then returned to Babel. Because in Eretz Yisrael, if you look in the whole history, uh, even in what we have in the Sfar Machagai <laughs> and Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubovel disappears. And the Kohen Gadol that's mentioned in Zechariah uh, with Zerubbabel, he seems to be the prime leader, as we know Shimna Tzadik was. So back in Bavel, you have this, you know, Zerubbabel comes to inject the, the community with this energy, and then goes back to Bavel, according to Rav Nosan Habavli, uh, that historian, and starts this uh, position that's known as the Reish Galusa, and they actually felt as the as the uh, the, the Mishnah and Brisa and Masech Surya says they were rivals to what was going on in Eretz Yisrael. The Gemara says that Yehuda Hanasi Rebbe um, was wondering if, since he's now been given such power, and especially as the Roman uh, boot heel had been lifted and he seemed to have a lot of control, he was wondering if he would make a mistake. In Halanasi, in Nasi Yechta, which is the end of Parshas Vayikra. And Rav Chia said to him, Wait, wait, wait. Um, you're not the only one. You have your Chavir, Rav Huna Barnason, in Bavel. So you're not the only king. You, you could be called a Nasi, but there's another Nasi out there, the Nasi in Bavel. So we see from these sources that there had been for hundreds and hundreds of years, and, and and it actually lasted quite a, a long time. Up until the 14th century, there was something called the Reish Galusa. And he was, in a way, uh, known to be a descendant of David HaMelech. And he was a powerful authority. A powerful authority. And it was, in a way, although you didn't have to be like a, 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 a Talmud Chacham, and you didn't hold run a yeshiva, but officially you were the one, just like the queen in England, who gave the official appointments to the heads of the yeshivas of Surah and Pumbedisa. So the Reish Galusa becomes this hallowed position, very much um, respected and desired and rife for uh, using it uh, <laughs> incorrectly and maliciously and aggressively. Anan, according to the, the, the story that we have, was in line to be Reish Galusa. And for some reason, he did not receive that position. Anan. And I'm not getting into all the details, but that convinced him that he was going to actually put into prison for um, his revolt. Because revolt against the Reish Galusa, the one that was chosen instead of him, was considered sedition against the uh, the authorities, in this case, the Muslim authorities, who also sanctioned the Reish Galusa's power. According to the, the legend, Anan, when he was going to have to 
uh, defend himself, come up with what was considered a novel um, approach, which was to say that he was not really from the standard Jews. He represented a different cop. Now, this is a legend about how the charism developed. And supposedly what Anand did after he was freed from sedition was create the principles of his, uh, 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 of that sect. So the Reish Galusa was always um, sensitive about the Karaites trying to overturn the power structure in Bavel and in other areas. So it's, it's again, it's not a coincidence that the Reish Galusa at the time of Sadia saw Dovim and Zakai and his predecessor, saw the Karaites and someone who fought against them to be the type of champion that they needed. Now, it wasn't just in order to score political points. As I mentioned last week, the this was a very successful movement, the Karite movement. It's It's almost incredible that it was, because based on what we have from the statements of Anan, one of them was, explain everything according to your own way of understanding. And do not necessarily assume that what I'm saying is true either. Which would mean that the next generation could reject what was said earlier. In other words, Anan students could reject whatever Anan had written. Which is really totally counter to our idea of Tanoyim, Amaroyim, Kadbonim. So I, I, I don't know how much of that is just pithy humor. Hey, you look at it fresh with your own eyes and reject even what I'm saying if you want to. I, I don't know if that was a hundred if that was followed. I think that was a very heady type of like free love, man, make love not war type of statement to get people interested and getting getting people to buy in. But I think once Anan and and the other Karite writers like Chibe Abalki actually put their words down and their books were disseminated, I don't think it was that easy to uh, to shift away. And it, it's really counterproductive. You need to have a constitution. You need to have something that was firmly in place. There could be a little, there could be some elasticity and wiggle room, but there needed to be a, a basic approach of principles. So it, 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 I, I think, you know, when we're dealing with the Karaites, when we're dealing with the Karoyim, I think we have to recognize that they spoke a game of freedom, but there was certain perushim that they actually put up the flagpole and felt were true and were true forever. And it was that type of coalesce, coalesce, the coalescing that occurred around not just the attitude, but specific perushim that gave the Karite movement muscle and fiber and strength. This is the way we look at the psukim. These are our sfarim, and 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 if you and you know if there there are they do exist. The sefer Eshko Hakofer and others 
represent a mitzvos, a complete book of mitzvos and perushim that we have from the Karoyim. Rabbi, Rabbi Kivalevich, could you explain um, what relationship, if any, uh, the Karoyim have to uh, the Tzedukim and the, okay. and the, and the I don't know how, what the... Oh, okay, so the Rambam writes in his Parish Mishnah that they were pretty much the same exact spirit of 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 dishonesty. Uh, that's what the Rambam says. The Rambam says that that Antigonus Ishsocho um had his two Talmudim, Tzadokul Baisus, who they were the Tzadukim and Baisusim, who we know denied the authority of many of our traditional Torah Shabalpeh. And the Rambam writes that the Karaites were just a new version of the same thing. Now, the Rambam dismisses them by saying that although they claimed to do what they were doing out of fealty to what they felt was mikra only, really, they were trying, as, as, as the Rambam proves from the Mishnah, that says that's the mission of Antigonus Ishsocho. The Rambam says, based on the Ovester of Nosa, that that Sodok and Baisis heard this um this mission and said, What, there's no schar in Olam Haba? That's what it is. And they ended up really creating a a a kath, a a a form of religion that did not stress any connection to Olam Abba. Now, that sounds very different even than Chazal's, what Chazal say that Tzadukim were. Chazal say that Tzadukim had, did, like, believe me, Mocharas HaShabbos means the, the day after Shabbos is when you start bringing the Omer, not the second day of Pesach. What does that have to do with Kfira in Chiyas HaMesim, right? Mm-hmm. So the Rambam says that Really, kfir and tchias amesim, or olam haba, meaning you don't. It doesn't make a difference. We're all going to die, and once we die, there's nothing left. Really, in a way, is what allows you to do everything in this world to basically just enjoy yourself. And he says that was what was really motivating. Um, that's what was motivating uh, the Karite movement was the freedom that it promised. It wasn't so much, oh, Torah Shabalpeh is so cryptic and Torah Shabalpeh is so um, labyrinthically uh, weird and it doesn't sound like that's what the Pusik means. It's because Torah Shabalpeh, what it does is it, it demands a certain lifestyle and, 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 and restraint. Whereas they wanted to create a a system that ultimately they could enjoy themselves with. And even though um, externally they could say, no, we're being machmir, we're not keeping any, having any hot food in our house or whatever it is, which was, which which the Rambam says, we know the Karaites did, uh, they wouldn't lo savaru eish. The Rambam felt that ultimately this was a a type of approach that although they needed to accept like a pill, Bob, of Humrah once in a while, the main thing was they didn't have to keep 
Torah Shabal Peh, which is what, which was what uh, made them being Machmer and Hilchas Nida, being Machmer on how you wear tefillin, being Machmer on Shatnez. In other words, ultimately Torah Shabal Peh was considered a, a way to live a much more uh, restrictive, uh, all-encompassing, demanding life of Judaism, and therefore they created this, uh, this, this, this. This is our approach. They needed to bite the bullet once in a while, but mostly it allowed them to live without the oil, the oil of God being over them and punishing them in the future world. That's what the Rambam says ultimately means when you say, hey, there is no Olam Haba. So yeah, there's no Olam Haba. I'm going to do what I want. Now, what do you mean you do what you want? Aren't you part of Klal Yisrael? So therefore, oh yeah, we're going to learn the Mikra only. So the Rambam therefore believed that anything like the Karaites included was a was a was a charade. It was a means to 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 sh- to shunt away, to chuck off the the burden of living what we call a Torah or a Torah Shabalpel life. Now that is that, that's obviously a very prejudicial way of looking at it. I, I I appreciate what the Rambam is saying, and if the Rambam is right, Bob, what you basically have is a proclivity for wanting to not be religious and not to have to be so strict about things, and therefore what you say is, oh, I believe only in the at this that there's ever since you know Harsinai, as the Medrash Tanhuma says. There's been bristling over accepting the oral law, the Torah Peh that fills in the details. And it rears its head at particular times in our history. And it reared its head in Bayesheni with the Tzedukim. And it reared its head at the time of the Muslim uh, spreading of, of the expansionism of Islam in the form of the Karaites. Yeah, now, I, I, so yeah, so I mean, so I, not I, every the, the, but but and, and therefore they they chose according to the Ramam's way of looking at things they chose this approach because it could it, it was the easiest one that they could justify the sort of hedonistic or lack of disciplined life that they could lead, but it wasn't a sincere adoption of saying the Torah is what it says it is. It can't be that the Torah means all this stuff that you're saying, all these other hidden traditions. God would never do that to us. Which I is, I, yeah, no, I get it now. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was a good answer. I appreciate yeah, yeah, right. So again, I will take the Karaites at their word right now and say, because that's probably why they were able to get people on their side. Because they were able to preach to the people on the fence and say, look what's happening in the world of the rabbinical world. There is, you know, they're all talking about Talmud Bavli. There aren't any commentaries on Mikra. And they don't know Mikra. So when you had had the new communities that were rising in Egypt and Mitzrayim and in North Africa, the, the way to get people on your side is to point out the weaknesses of 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 what you especially as I mentioned last week that they were sending money galore to the yeshivas in Bavel 
the Reish Galus himself was living extremely wealthy and monies were going to the yeshivos. And, and, and these communities, whether they were in North Africa, in Spain, or even as far as France and Germany, uh, Afghanistan, Yemen, they were expected, according to the Chachmei Bovel, to be supporting this center of Torah. And the Karaites were offering a much cheaper and better way. And that is why it was an it was a, a extremely strong threat. So Sadia saw that he needed to become the champion of Mikra. He knew that we needed to show that we know it. Now, the, 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 the truth is, is that not everyone knew it as well as he did. But he needed to, to defend Mikra, to, to give uh, and to push that, and to show that the Karaites were the ones that were superficial. And sometimes he needed to make an uneasy peace between tra- the tradition of Tavrish Peh, the way it seemed to have come through the Talmud, and the way he wanted it to be um, to be displayed and understood, because he needed to get the people on the fence back into the camp of the rabbinical camp. And the way he did that was by pushing, and I and that's why I'm sure that once he became Gaon and he had much more power, I'm sure he uh, perfected and pushed this commentary. But I think I, I am justified in saying that the commentary is the product of his young mind. And it was part of his young mind and passion. And I want to uh, share with you, again, it, we, we don't have the complete commentary. Uh, we have, a, but a lot of it has been reconstructed, uh, good sections of it. I want to share with you uh, a number, just a, a section right here that has to do with last week's parasha. Eat the Korban Pesach, which was about the Korban That has to be, what? It has to be roasted. So, Anan wrote, Shoga Anan Now again, this is translated from the Arabic. Anan makes a a, a a a large mistake, a seriously large mistake. He says, Besovro, he says, Shapesach lo nitzla bishfud ela al gabihaish. If it says ki im that means there the Korban Pesach couldn't have a, a it couldn't be it couldn't be like a, a barbecue on a stick. It had to be actually sitting on the coals, on the fire itself. That's what it means. Al ha'esh, tzli esh. V'nosan rayel advar of binyan zeba omro. Ima kavona bazeh ha'esh tzli b'shvud. Ki oz ha'yekosav oymer tzli. The Torah would just write tzli. Tzli means roast. And we know what roasted means. Roasted means... There is no pot. There is no water. We know what the word sli means. But when you say roast ash, you're saying that's really roast, baby. That's really roasted to the point it's not on some sort of spit that the fire's underneath. It's actually touching the fire. 
וכיוון שהאוסף צלי אש, רואה שיהיה מובנו בעניין זה, שיצלה על האש עצמה. He takes it one step further and says, because we know it says, ומצס ומרורם יאכלו, right after that, וכשם שחובה לצלס אס הפסח על האש, כך חובה שהמצה תאף על האש, לא בתנור. The matzah has also got to be tzli esh, which means an oven, like let's say you would, you would stick the, um, the dough on the side. No, it actually has to sit on the fire. It's not, it can't just be an oven that, that the fire is underneath. It actually has to be on the coals itself. That's the way you have to make the matzah. That's what Anan says. It sounds like a chumra, really, <laughs> in matzah. Of course, none of this was relevant because Anan was not bringing any korbonos. But this is one of his attacks that the, the, that the rabbinical world has it wrong about the korban pesach. And he says, Anan's statement here really shows how how ignorant he is. V'choser binoso bedarke hadibur shel mikra. He doesn't know how our mikra works. And you can see that Sadia didn't just write a commentary here. This is very close to a polemical attack. That's what it is. V'ani mevarzo sumagalas advarim. I am going to explain it as if I'm explaining to a three-year-old. V'omer. Whenever the, the Mikra wants to tell you that it needs to be a certain way, when it tells you it wants to stipulate one way, it first tells you what it doesn't want. Today, it says it shouldn't, if, if, if this is what it should be, this is what happens if it's not that. So it, in order to set up the stipulation, it tells you what, it, what's the, what it's not. For example, he says, by Evid Ivri, it says, that if he comes in by himself, he can't marry a slave girl. He leaves like that. But what does it say right afterwards? though, If, however, he is able to, what happens is, is that he, uh, is, he gets a, a slave wife. Then it says, what happens? It happens is, is that he goes out but his children are owned by the master. That's why it says first, in Begapo. First it says if he's by himself, where, his, where he doesn't get a slave wife, he goes in, he goes out, and he leaves the same way he comes in. Whereas if, he, if, he's, if he's in a situation where the master could give him a slave woman to live with and to be a stud with and produce children with, those children don't go out with him. So first it tells you the, the, let's say, the regular case to tell you the more interesting case. Similarly, when it comes to Shabbat, 
it is, why does it need to tell you there's no mitzvah to do work right there's no mitzvah to go out and do work everybody knows that that was the nature of the world that people worked for six days so why doesn't the Torah need to say in the Sarah Sadibro Sadigon says or Sadia before he was going says <laughs> because we want to tell you and Shabbos is Hashem When it says by Shemitah, is there any, the Pasuk that, 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 that introduces Shemitah says, Sheishonim, um, Sheishonim Tizra Ezaratzacha. You don't have to plant anything because it wants to say Shemitah. So same thing over here. If we take a look at the Pasuk by the, um, by Korban Pesach. Umatzis umarorim yochlu al tochlu mimenu no bosham avushu b'mayim kiim tzliyesh. So Anan said, "Look what you're just emphasizing here. It's got to be on the fire itself." Whereas Sadia says, "No, we we know that the tendency would be to use water. So that's what we always say. Not with water, but it should be with fire, but." Since we mentioned Mayim first, which is a pot with water, that's why we mention Aish. It's always the opposite. In other words, what are you making such a, a, a diuk for? In other words, Anan in Sadia's mind is, is the Mafalpil, right? Anan is the one who is, who is guilty of too much pilpul. Anan wanted to make like a drasha. Why does that hurt? He says over here, Tzliyesh. And it says, Matzahs too have to be Tzliyesh. And then it says here, it could have just said, what if they bashul mavushul bamayim? It could have just said, Kiyim Tzli. So Sadia says, the Torah always writes that way. Not water, but fire. Just fire without water. That's the way the Torah writes. And if you know the way the Torah writes, you know that's what it's about. Where do you come off being machadish? this whole... This whole chidush. Now, if I would have really, Sadia makes Anan sound like the Mafalpel. And he says, Anan doesn't understand. That's the way the Torah Torah always writes that way. And and of course, we have a, a, a tradition. There's no extra word. The Torah doesn't say things it doesn't need to say. The Torah doesn't need to tell you to do work, right? There must be some drasha. So Sadia, in his commentary, wants to really sound like an ultra-rationalist in his attacking of Anan. And he says, Anan doesn't even know how to read. Doesn't he know that's the way the Torah is written all the time? Rabbi Bechoffer mentioned um, last week the problem that, uh, that the Karaites had with the idea of uh, of of Kiddush Achodesh Alpiria, they felt that Kiddush Achodesh Alpiria was not in the Torah anywhere. And of course, Bob, in this, we know the Beitusim, based on all our reports, also were severe enemies of the whole system of letting people know when the Edus Achodesh was Niskabel through witnesses in the Bezdin. So. It would seem, 
here is a very straight line between the Karaites continuing what we knew was the one of the uh, issues that Baitusim fought tooth and nail over, which was they did not believe in Edus HaChodesh. So <laughs> you would expect Sadia in fighting the Karaites to sort of like defend Edus HaChodesh the way the Gemara Menachos does. But Sadia actually does something, once again, incredibly daring to present our... No, in a way, the, the Betusim are right. But it was always Cheshba. Lo al Piriyas Halavana. Vaharaya, the proof is, Shakol Arboyim Shana Shal Yisrael Bamidbar. Ho Yuanan, not the Karite, Ho Yuanan Machasosam Yamum Vamude Shlaila. So, how could they have holidays during the 40 years in the desert? No one ever saw the sun during the day. No one ever saw the moon during the night. And therefore, Rav, Rav Sadia, and this is quoted by Rav Hai uh, about a hundred years later, said, Everything was always based on the Cheshbon. The Baitusim that you say are your spiritual ancestors, Karaites, you don't realize what they wanted. The Baitusim wanted to say that we didn't know, the, we didn't have the right calculation. Yes, they did have testimony, but the testimony was really there to confirm the cheshpen, not the not the opposite. Not that the cheshpen was there to back up when the testimony didn't show up, but rather the the main thing was the calculating the calendar knowledge that they had originally. And they knew everything. The Chachamim always knew exactly where, how the moon was going to look. They had astrological knowledge of astronomical knowledge of the of the way the moon moved and how it would look. And in fact, he, then he goes to say, as you heard Rabbi Bechaber say last week, so why is it that they keep? Why do we keep two days in Chutzlar instead? Don't we know what the Soda Ibar is? Now the Gemara says that we're afraid that we might forget what it is. Now Sadia says something very radical against the Gemara. He says, Ain't Suffolk me, Kara. There was never any Suffolk. That Eretz Yisrael would always have one day, and in Chutzarts they would have Tuesdays. He says that Sadia says Moshe Rabbeinu already heard that. That's part of the Torah Shabalpeh. Part of the Torah Shabalpeh is exactly how to make the calculations. And, and they had to do that because that's the way things were in the desert for 40 years. And the other thing was they knew that if Jews would live outside of Eretz Yisrael, 
they would keep two days. And that's what you heard Rabbi Bechafer say, that they kept two days in, in, in the Midbar. So again, I don't know if that's true, but I do know that it's true that Sadia wrote this. Now, again, this is taking the, the, um, the, the cudgel out of the hands of the enemy. Now, the enemy is saying, this is crazy. You need people to come and testify. This was all just a power trip that everyone has to come to you. When you could figure this out, this is anti-knowledge. Rasadya says the opposite. Sadia said it was always based on the calculations, and they always knew what the right calculations were. The testimonies were basically there to show everyone, hey, you see, they came and testified. Can you it's like the it's like the magic trick. Can you please open up what I what's in the envelope, please? Ta-da! You see, we get it right, because we know. So it's really the reverse. So I think I, I've tried to, I showed you here, I think, in these two cases where, you know, Sadia's commentary, other than, uh, you know, his his deep belief that 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 you needed to translate every word and need to be understood. But he was also here willing to sort of flip the table on the Karaites. Um, and this what this last thing I'm quoting you is not so much a, a translation issue, but it's 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 really in a way uh like 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 showing that 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 it's the old that they are the ultimate liars. Like they're they're telling you that they're the ones that believe in mathematical precision and not like this outmoded ridiculous method of coming and testifying, which was always open to human error. Sadia says, no, it's obviously the reverse. And even though it's true that Baitusim did have their issues, that's because they disagreed with the mathematic calculations, not because there were no mathematical calculations in, in the rabbi's uh, pocket. In Bishalach, Even though we're saying that God is our doctor, our healer, the Pusik before that says, choose life, which means you've got to be a partner in that. Of course, God is the ultimate rofe. But if it right before that it says, that tells you that you have to make healthy choices and you won't need a doctor. Basically, what you're going to do is just overeat. Then, in a way, it's your fault. So, what you need to do, since we know people are guilty of overeating and being lax, is to use refuos when they're necessary in order to sort of deflect all the negative behavior that they had done before. 
Really, of course, you should just live a healthy, like the Rambam says in Ilchos Deos. But, if you aren't careful, that you didn't, you couldn't resist that extra piece of lemon meringue pie or whatever it was. And what happened? Because of that, because of what you ate, because of all that stuff that you the burrito and the and the chili pepper and and the milkshake that brought you into illness. Then Royal's Limsaratsma beyond Rofek. So what you should do is then go to a doctor, but go betrilasacholi. Go as soon as you feel something wrong. Before it gets into your bones. Because if you let something fester, then the doctor isn't going to be able to have the strength and the energy to cure you. And that's the Eitzah that the Torah is telling you. So then, what you need to do is take radical, make radical choices. It probably won't work. But what you're going to need to do is try things, even though they are somewhat, um, if not controversial, but not completely tested. Maybe that'll work. And that is called, in our language, an Eitzah Acher. And the truth is, it's not just about eating and getting sick. It says, It's not just about food. It's about the type of life you lead. The first thing you should do is instead of getting involved, let's say, in being lazy or being angry or um, uh, just wanting to say Lashon Hara about someone, the first person, first thing you need to do is um, try to self- control yourself. When you see it happening, say, no, no, this is no good. I'm gaining weight. I- I'm becoming callous. Uh, I'm becoming lazy in, in the fact that I don't go want to learn or go to Davin or whatever it is. You need to stop yourself. And that is what, similar to the way you have to deal with your health. Because we know that if you allow a certain type of uh, character trait to sort of like fester and you start becoming comfortable with it, that of course leads you to much worse. And if you are able to nip it in the bud, and similar to all your health issues, that, that's the best thing. Now, let's say you don't nip it in the bud. So then, what do you need to do? You know you've done Averos. You know that you've gone on a, bin, on a bender. You know that you've done, you've allowed yourself to, to let loose in the wrong way. So now, you got to go to the doctor. So what does that mean? To fast, to daven, and to, to like really increase things when more than normal. 
because hopefully that that will maybe help. And if that doesn't work, and it turns out that that you didn't take advantage of the chuva moments, and you're finding yourself ill or doing not just averos in a like in a in a, in a minor way, but like that becomes your whole way of of life. So now you've got to try aggressive medicine. Now, what is, I have to see what the aggressive medicine is. So he says the aggressive medicine here is doing the type of extreme tshuva, not just fasting once in a while and thinking about God, but actually doing things just like taking some sort of extreme type of medication meaning that what we would call like a nausea or even worse in terms of uh, of the type of sigufim and type of things that you have to deny your body from. So I think this piece as well, although it's not so much in the verse, it, it really projects to his readers uh, a, a much more rational approach. In fact, almost like saying, we're not such frumers. It's not like, oh, we're all about chumra, chumra, chumra. No, there's some people out there who have to lead this life of extreme asceticism because they've allowed themselves to, to become slobs, to they become gluttonous. They become, in a way, just like someone who needs to go to have chemotherapy, someone who needs to take very, very strong drugs because they become ill. Again, it's not blaming the victim, but again, in those days, that was sort of the idea that there's there was a belief they their their belief in medicine, their understanding of medicine was somewhat primitive, but the belief was that you can live a certain life, and it's all based on what you eat. That you can live a certain life where you can never you're never going you're going to be healthy, and you're not going to need extremism. Once again, Sadia is saying, I know you're hearing that our way of life is is you know pushes certain extremes. But that's only when you're dealing with a chola masukan. That's when you have to be extreme. But generally, normalcy could be the rule of the day if you understand it. And you don't necessarily have to fall, you don't have to become that. So I, I think you're seeing here in these three pieces that we quoted today from Sadia, a, an attempt to sort of refashion not just what the psukim are about, and, and give them a translation, but also a lot of pedagogical, I, w- I would say, pr- propag- almost propaganda in a way, but not really, but like, 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 like an attitude that would open up people who are on the fence to saying, hey, I can accept that. Oh, I hear that. You don't sound so radical. Oh, oh that sounds logical. And I think that was all part uh, of his plan uh, to, to really, in a way, keep the 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 carites or the karoyim as we say thanks for joining us for another episode from the yeshiva of newark at idt podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode